G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Allah is impersonal, guarantees no salvation, and relegates Jesus to a good man with no saving power. Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll continue Islam in the modern day. Last time, Pastor Jeff shared the six articles of the Muslim faith and examined some of the teachings of Muhammad concerning Jesus. Coming up, we'll explore what a Muslim does as outlined in the five pillars of Islam. A good Muslim will do the following things. He will recite the Islamic declaration of faith known as the Shahada. And it says, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. This is Today with Jeff Vines as we continue Islam in the modern day. Now, the second question I want to answer, that is what a Muslim believes. Now, what does a Muslim do? That's where these five articles of faith come into being. A good Muslim will do the following things. Number one, these are called the pillars of Islam. He will recite the Islamic declaration of faith known as the Shahada. And it says, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Now, that's not intrinsically bad. It's not wrong to state the confession of faith. We do it as Christians. Before you're baptized, we ask you to repeat the good confession, we call it. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior. So in the same way we have our statement of faith, a good Muslim will recite the pillars of Islam. The first, sorry, will participate in the five pillars of Islam. And the first is to recite the Islamic declaration that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Number two, A good Muslim will pray five times daily. These are prescribed formulaic prayers at dawn, at noon, in the afternoon, at evening, and night. You will pray the prayers given to you. And when somebody says to me that the only reason Muslims pray is out of fear, that's not right. A good Muslim prays, yes, out of fear of Allah, but he also has a respect and a reverence for Allah, and that's why he bows five times. Now, let's face it. How many of you Christians pray five times a day? It's just something you ought to think about. They bow toward Mecca because Muhammad, while leading these violent campaigns from Mecca, changed the direction of prayers from Jerusalem to Mecca. So when they bow, they face toward Mecca. Number three, a good Muslim will also practice the giving of alms to the poor. Giving of alms to the poor. Now, this is not uh, a tithe like we have in Christianity. This is a 2.5% tax on your annual income and property. Give alms to the poor. It's not the same as a tithe. Number four, you will participate in a month of fasting called Ramadan. This fast allows you to eat at night, but not during the daytime. And this feast, or fast rather, which either way you look at it, commemorates the alleged first revelation that came to Muhammad from the archangel Gabriel in 610 AD. So number five then, 
Every Muslim must make a journey to Mecca at least once in his life. This is a purifying journey. No guarantee now that you will be made right with Allah, but it's a journey unless you've got a great excuse and you, it's just impossible for you to make the pilgrimage. Every practicing Muslim will practice the five articles of, or the five pillars of Islam and the fifth being, he will make a journey to Mecca at least once in his life. Now that's the belief system. I don't think I need to say anything more about that, but here's what I want you to notice. I'm gonna be aggressive here, but I'm gonna be straight with you. Notice that everything in Islam originates from one man convulsing in a cave. Two, he's a man that led violent campaigns in an effort to force conversion to a particular faith. Number three, a man who performed no miracle, struggled with sin like the rest of us, and ultimately desired to conquer the world through force for Allah. And five, told us that the God, the moon God, who is not the moon God today, but Allah is impersonal, guarantees no salvation, and relegates Jesus to a good man with no saving power. Now you'll pardon me if I say, now wait a minute. In the same way that Islam gets a little upset and defensive when I talk about Muhammad, now don't I as a Christian have the right to get a little defensive when you devalue my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sin? And so my point is that there's a stark contrast between the life of Jesus and Muhammad admitted by Muhammad in the Quran. And that stark contrast is a huge difference. Now, I want you to turn over to that passage quickly in Romans chapter 10, verse one. And there are many of you that need to be reminded of this because here's something that I hear often. And uh, I'm trying my best to be sensitive. I am. But it's important also that I tell you what it is we believe in the Bible teaches. That is the beauty of the freedom of religion in America, right? Now listen, Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul is dealing with Israel. And he has a heart and passion for them because they are unsaved in their present condition. Because they reject Jesus. And the cross is salvation. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is, their is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. In other words, they have a passion for God. They're, sinc they're sincere. And this is how I hear people all the time say, well, as long as you're sincere in your faith, you'll be okay. Really? You don't really believe that though. What if I told you that I believed that the more people I kill, the greater my chances to go to heaven? Would you tell me if I was sincere about my faith, I would be right? Of course not. You don't really mean that, but I hear it all the time. And Paul says the Israelites have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness, you can be righteous before God by keeping the law perfectly or by paying the penalty. Jesus pays the penalty on your behalf on the cross. They didn't know about that and seeking to establish their own righteousness by a system of do and don't, he says they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. His point is, just because Israel is, or just because the people in his day who were rejecting Christ were sincere and were zealous, did not mean that their actions reflected reality. And so, that is what is crucial when you're evaluating world religions. Sincerity doesn't get you to heaven. Truth, based on the knowledge of the revealed word of God. That's why the big question is always going to be this, where is our authority? 
Do we trust the Bible to be the word of God? And if you've not come to that conclusion, I challenge you, you better go do that. Because until you're, until you're confident the Bible is the word of God, you'll have questions like this and you'll question the sincerity and perhaps it can be a way to heaven. But once you understand that God has revealed himself in the Bible, the word of God, then you will let it be your final test and authority. Now, here's what I want to do in closing. I got a few minutes. You got to hang on tight. Here is what I want to do. And I want to do this gently, especially since September 11th. I know, listen, I know that the debate between modern Islam and extreme Islam continues to this day. It's happening. I know that. They're talking about jihad, which in the Quran is in two areas. There's the struggle, which is what jihad means, against sin. And there's the struggle against unbelieving heathens. And according to Surah chapter 47, verses 4 through 6, if a Muslim dies in jihad, he or she is promised heaven. Now, here's what deeply concerns me. There are three things. I know the battle is raging between the moderates and the extremists. But number one, it concerns me that Islam is currently the most powerful system on earth for the persecution and killing of Christians. It is what it is. And thousands of Christians are dying all over our world today at the hand of Islamic regimes in Indonesia, in Iraq, in Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, India, South Sudan. Christians are being sold into slavery. They are being crucified. They are being raped, home invasion, destruction. And in cases where the policy is a policy of persecution and where police in Islamic regimes stand by and do nothing. This is how the Jakarta Press, it headlines, Muslim mob closes Christian church in Indonesia. More than 100 Muslims attack the Christian church in Bandung, 135 kilometers southeast of Jakarta on Wednesday, pelting the premise with stones and forcing churchgoers to flee the building, said the Jakarta Post. The most ironic thing, in quotes, is that a number of police were present at the site but did nothing to prevent the mob from entering the place of worship and people died. Moreover, even Islamic countries today, there is a centuries-old law brought about by the Pact of Omar, who's the second successor to Muhammad, that prohibits in Islamic states the building of a church building a thousand meters from a mosque. And in most Islamic states, you cannot even build a church building, nor can you restore or renovate an existing church building. It is actually against the law. You say, well, Jeff, that's a mild form of persecution. Well, let me continue. In Algeria, from 1998 to 2000, and even on up to today, between 60 and 80,000 people have been killed because the Islamists are waging war so that they can turn Algeria into an Islamic state. Scores of women have been killed for being unveiled and the fundamentalists vow to kill more. This is Today with Jeff Vines and the message is about Islam in the modern day. Pastor Jeff is unpacking the five pillars of Islam which dictate what a good Muslim should do. I was at Coffee Clutch a few weeks ago. I had my resources on drinking my coffee and a lady walked by who is from Armenia. She saw what I was reading. She asked me why. And she related to me the story that from 1894 to 1918, Muslims in Turkey persecuted Armenians in what remains to this day the greatest atrocity against Christians ever. The savagery surpassed what we talked about in the Roman Empire's brutality against Christianity in the first three years or first three centuries. In fact, the Muslim Turks almost succeeded 
in exterminating the entire Armenian race through the process of starvation, deportation, disease, beatings, murders. One million Armenians were killed and 1.5 million fled the country. No, not everybody who wears a turban in America is a terrorist building a bomb in a garage. But if you think I'm gonna put my head in the sand and not talk about what's happening with my brothers and sisters and all over the world at the hands of Islamic regimes, you're sadly mistaken. And if that's offensive, let me tell you I'm offended for my brothers and sisters who are dying. I love America because of the freedom of religion. I love it that we are told to tolerate all religions. And that means that everybody has a voice and I'm for that in open debate. But in America, you don't have to fear the sword if you're Islam. But you've got to fear the sword if you're Christian in Islamic states. Many of them, not all of them, but many of them. And who's going to stand up and start to talk? On February the 22nd, 1998, bin Laden, yes, I know he's an extremist and not everybody agrees with him. He issued an edict calling for the death of all Americans, including civilians. Here's what he said. We, with God's help, call on every Muslim who believes in God and wishes to be rewarded to comply with God's order to kill the Americans and plunder their money wherever and whenever they find it. We call on all Muslim leaders, youths, and soldiers to launch and raid Satan's U.S. troops and the devil's supporters align with them and to displace those who are behind them so that they may learn a lesson. The ruling to kill the Americans and their allies, civilians and military, is an individual duty for every Muslim who can do it in any country in which it is possible to do it. Jeff, why can't you just be nice? Why can't you be nice and not talk about the extremists? Because somebody has to. I know the debate is still happening. But remember that such aggression, the extremists believe, is based on the Quran. And these ideas are being discussed in the academic world. And they will impact the world that your kids are going to grow up in. I'm not trying to scare you, just trying to let you know. Surah chapter 3 says, if you shall be slain or die on the path of Allah, then pardon from Allah and mercy is better than all your amassings. For if you die or be slain, verily unto Allah you shall be gathered. Surah chapter 8, 14, O you who believe, when you meet those who disbelieve marching toward, then turn not your backs to them. And whoever shall turn his back to them on that day, then he indeed becomes deserving of Allah's wrath and his abode is in hell. Fight, you go to heaven. Run, you go to hell. And then these radicals are armed with a Quranic promise. They tell their impressionable young believers that martyrs and those who will strap a bomb to themselves and blow up other people will go directly to heaven. And when you go directly to heaven, you will be greeted by 72 black-eyed virgins that are described like this, beautiful like rubies with complexions like diamonds and pearls. And the martyrs then will delight themselves lying on green cushions and beautiful carpets. That concerns me. And I think I have a right to be concerned. And number two, some major centers of Islam teach the value of being a suicide bomber still to this day. Some major centers of Islam teach the value of being a suicide bomber. Palestinian television program for children. There's one modeled after Sesame Street called the Children's Club. It features a song that says, when I wander into Jerusalem, I will bemuse a suicide bomber. And Sheikh Abd al-Salam, the chief of Palestinian Authority Police, he describes 
what a suicide bomber who kills Jewish women and children in Israel can expect in the afterlife. And I quote, from the moment his first drop of blood spills, he feels no pain and he is absolved from all of his sins. He sees his seat in heaven. He is spared the tortures of the grave. He is spared the horrors of the day of judgment. He is married to 70 black eyed women. He can vouch for 70 of his family members to enter paradise. And in a July 5th issue of 2001 USA Today, Jack Kelly wrote that Hamas run kindergartens. There are signs on the wall that read, the children of the kindergarten are the Shaheeds, the holy martyrs of tomorrow. Because I'm out of time, here comes my third concern. Will the moderate Muslim have the courage to speak up against the evil of violence threatened upon anyone, anywhere in the world? Folks, now listen as I finish this up. Please, listen here. There are 1.2 billion Muslims in the world. But I believe the statistics that indicate that Islam is growing are not accurate. Why? Because anytime you have a religion that is a religion by force, you really don't know how many people actually believe. You remove your foot from the neck of a person and then you'll find out what's in their heart. When people try to scare me with those statistics and things I see online, I just have to laugh. According to those statistics then, there are 3.5 billion Christians and Protestants. The truth is Christianity is spreading like wildfire in places like Africa and Asia. And there's a new move in the South Pacific. And I think we ought to be part of this move. It's interesting. In many areas, for the last 50 years where Islam has had the upper end, Christianity still grows. It is still exploding. And the news of the gospel is being preached in a passive, nonviolent manner. Which is why even is Islam, where it is a state religion, people are still choosing Christianity. But those who do are being persecuted. They're being killed. And I want to be a voice not only for Christians, because the reality is some of the most harsh punishment comes from Islam upon Islam. When someone who is of Islamic faith converts to Christianity, he or she is often killed. If it's a family member, the son or daughter are put out of the home. That's why I don't understand Americans. I really don't. Why is America today trying to silence a religion that believes everybody should have a voice? Why would you try to silence Christianity when Christianity believes that you love and pray for your enemies, that you have open dialogue? Why would we try to silence a religion like that and then open our doors wide to those religions who have proven when they are in charge are not so tolerant? It makes no sense to me. But here's the big question. And remember, nature abhors a vacuum. If we succeed in silencing the Christians, make no mistake, another religion will take its place. And my question is, will it be as tolerant as Christians are? Name me another religion, world religion, that is as tolerant as Christianity in the sense that we don't kill you if you're not a Christian. <laughs> what are we doing? But the bigger question, you know what? Bigger than all that is this. What have you decided? The book of Romans says you got two choices. You can choose to relate to God like this, but if you do, you'll lose every time because you have to be 100% good to be accepted by God on the basis of works. The reason I'm a little passionate this morning is because I love the cross, man. I love grace. And I love my Islamic friends and I want them to know about the power of the cross to give them the two things they're looking for. Security in eternity, 
based on not performance, but upon the love of Jesus Christ. And a system where you can know you have salvation because it's not based on your good works. Now, if I've said something that's offensive today, I'm not sorry. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. I'm going to pray. And then after I've prayed, I'm going to ask the band to lead us in a song and the decision counselors to come forward. And if you need to give your life to Christ today, if you've weighed these world religions and you now know there is only one system that offers grace, this is the day I'm going to give you the opportunity to do it. Father, we are grateful for your love for us, for the grace that we receive in Jesus Christ. We love you. We are grateful and we pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world who are being persecuted. We pray for your hand of protection. But we do pray as they give their lives, they would give their lives in love. Give them courage and strength. And Jesus said, do not hold this sin against them. I pray that those in Islamic regimes, as they see our love and our kindness, would be drawn to our Savior. It's his name we pray. Amen. for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of Islam in the modern day. Please join us next time for a new message in a new series called Help. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.